Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and start. I, we probably won't use the mic. I hope everyone can hear us. Well, this is a great turnout. We're excited to, to have you all here. Uh, we're the specialized on-site support team from the Educational Service Center Central Ohio. And a little bit, we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves individually. Uh, but it would help us to kind of get a feel for our audience. So if you could um, let us know how many of you are teachers. Okay. Um, guidance counselors or social workers. Uh, administrators. Oh, great. Uh, parents. Parents? Well, you're probably a lot of parents, right? Okay. We're all parents. School psychs. Anybody? Any anyone I'm forgetting or with school board member. Oh, that's great. Okay, that's great. School nurses. Anybody else? Okay, Sean, if you want. So as a team, this is our mission and vision. I'm not gonna read it to you, but our goal is really to build professional capacity. So we work with districts at multiple levels of, of what they might need. We are not there to work directly with students. We're there to work with the professionals and build their skills, mostly on the job. Um, so districts call us and, and talk to us about what they might need. And really, it all comes down to social-emotional skills, mostly, right? Um, so. We, as, as a team, we have tier one PBIS trainers. We have trainers um, in restorative practices trained through the International Institute of Restorative Practices. We are trauma-informed and trauma-responsive trained, uh, Prime for Life. And that, that's, those are just a few examples of how we, as a team, support professionals um, with addressing social-emotional learning. Uh, we, so we'll talk more about that. but but. We, so we support as a team with a multidisciplinary approach and it, because we can't individualize the parts of the child, right? We have to support the whole child, so that's why it takes a team approach. We use a team approach for training, but in the schools, it really needs to be a team approach. A lot of times, people will feel like, I'm not a social worker, I'm not a mental health specialist, I don't have the skills to do this. and so. We really want everybody to feel empowered to, in their role to, to support the whole child with their social-emotional learning. So we are a multidisciplinary team, as you can see. Uh, we have people from different specialties. Uh, we can come together as a very collaborative team. We meet frequently. We work with each other. So we work with districts. We work with buildings. Uh, we work with individual teachers. Uh, usually we're called when there's a specific need, hence our title, SOS Team Specialized On-Site Support. But because we are a team, we can also draw upon each other's expertise. So we may be called in for a uh, behavior need, but then it becomes obvious that there's mental health needs too. So we have each other to call upon um, and, using, and use each other's expertise. So as you can see, um, these are the roles of the people on the team. So I'm Jill Kramer, and I'm the English language learner consultant. Um, I was a long-time ESL teacher, and so I work with districts uh, if they are especially just getting ELs for the first time, setting up programs, um, helping districts set up um, their program, helping districts deliver the, the services, 
uh, or anything to do with English language learners. And we'll each introduce ourselves. I'm Kathy Rhoda Heffer. I'm the instructional consultant on the team. And so I, I help with the teaching, the structure, lesson delivery, classroom management, uh, differentiation, that kind of thing. I'm Brian Teal. I do both behavior intervention and mental health on the team. My role is, and I'm also a, a CPI instructor, so I leave a lot of that terminology and approaches into everything we do, as well as developing support and embedded support for Tiers 1, Tiers 2, and Tier 3. I'm Kate Wallace. Um, I'm a board-certified behavior analyst, so I work with teachers and support staff in the school to help manage behavior interventions for students. Uh, Julie Bernard, also a behavior analyst, pretty much the same role. Good morning, my name is Neely Keys, and I am a social worker on the team, and I am uh, also trained um, Prime for Life, which is a drug and alcohol prevention, uh, trauma responsive, and restorative uh, justice, restorative practices trainer. Hi, I'm Ann Quinnell, I'm also a behavior analyst. Um, I am one of the team members that's also um, trained the trainer for restorative practices and also one of the team members who's been trained by ODE for the PBIS training to help disseminate that information to districts. And I have a passion for PBIS. I, when I lived in a different state, I was a district coach and um, the building lead and coach. And so I think that message, and we'll talk about integrating that, is really important because all of us want to talk about behavior change, right? And that helps in the SEL through the SEL levels as well. Good morning. My name is Sean Ross, and I'm the administrative coach on the team. I'm happy to see so many administrators and, and leadership taking part in this conference this uh, this today. I don't say this week, but it might feel like a weekend. But, um, when, uh, when, when this team was being formed, it initially just started with Kathy. And it started with just one individual. And as our executive director started having more and more conversations with districts, she started to realize the entire approach or the scope or the magnitude of the team approach and how that approach would need to be integrated into the schools. So as she formed this team and she started to look at, okay, well, you can have all these great resources, you can have all these great services at your disposal, but if the leadership isn't on board, if the school leadership, the district leadership, the, even the community leadership isn't on board, then it's just going to be another initiative that's going to just fall flat. And so what she decided was when, when she was looking at my role, and she says, okay, well, this is, this is going to be the, the, the leadership approach and how it's going to get integrated, how it's going to be aligned, how we're going to have those leadership conversations in the districts, in the buildings, in the communities, so that we can capitalize on all this expertise so that it can get weaved into the fabric of your schools and not so much just, oh, okay, let's bring this individual in, let's put the fire out, and then let's keep doing the same things we're doing because that fire is just going to reignite again. So my role is um, uh, uh, primarily working at that district level, at that building level, to ensure that that alignment is going to take place, to talk with you all about how it's going to fit, where it's going to fit, talk to you about what that resource support's going to look like and how you can continue to move that forward so that it's not just a one-shot deal. And because so many needs may initially seem simple but are actually more complex, um, we can work together to, to help districts solve those issues. I'll let you go ahead and read that slide. I don't want to read it to you. 
So we, you always want to start with the why and understand why it's important. And you know, going, you're going to take this back to your schools, and some of you may already know what the why is, and that might be why you're here. But so oftentimes, one of the barriers may be trying to convince others of the why. And there, I we will always refer you, refer you back to Castle. I don't the Castle website. I don't, I don't know what it stands for. I can never remember. But there is a lot of research there, and there's a lot of support for the why. So if you if you need to get buy-in, and and you should, um, it's a great resource for that. And um, at the end of our presentation, we have a lot of resources listed. So. You'll be able to take pictures of the slides or whatever, but Castle is definitely where you you want to start. Um, important to schools and for young people because I think the last several decades of research has taught us that academics just aren't enough. Yet we send kids to school and we just assume that all the social and emotional learning stuff they'll figure out or they'll be taught somewhere along the line and we spend hours and hours and weeks and months and years teaching them how to be academically smart but a lot of them end up being academically smart but emotionally stupid. So if you have somebody who's just brilliant at passing classes, but they feel lonely, they feel isolated, they're secretly, you know, self-harming or doing something self-destructive, then it doesn't matter how well they're doing in school because they're not going to be able to use those academic smarts in the world to, to benefit themselves or others. So schools were something that we thought about all of the time. And we wanted a model that was about how young people grow, and we wanted to be able to use it in every setting where young people so DNAV is about helping young people to be both academically and socially and emotionally smart. And uh, the research is pretty clear on this point. So we think of social and emotional skills as being a kind of side thing that we do after we get done with academics. But the research is clear in showing that social and emotional skill training improves academics. Our longitudinal research shows that young people who are more aware and mindful develop better social support networks. They develop better well-being. We know that young people who are better able to manage their emotions are better able to perform at school. So we believe that the social-emotional agenda is absolutely essential to kind of developing young people in a holistic way. So we started with how we could use it in schools and as part of that we have lesson plans for teachers, we have ways that teachers can use it in the classroom and we thought about groups of kids together just in a learning environment and we started there and then we added on how to use it in a more intense way one-on-one perhaps in school counselling. We've worked hard to make this book accessible to teachers so that teachers can very easily kind of roll it out almost like a lesson plan. So the book goes from basic training, which is teaching simple skills in an experience, experiential and sequenced way, to teaching more advanced skills. And the book describes very precisely how to do that. 
and Louise and I are constantly in the process of developing new materials to help support teachers. So we're really keen to see teachers bring this to their young people. We've worked hard to make DNA feed. <laughs> I finally had the sentence. I had it. It went through me. It was like Shakespeare. Sorry. Has, can raise your hand if you're familiar with the standards that ODE has put out, the SEL standards. Okay, I just, I figured that, but we just want to make sure that you know where they are on ODE's website, and they're a great resource, especially if you're thinking about prerequisite skills. A lot of times we maybe will look at middle schoolers and high schoolers, and we hear a lot, they should know better. Um, but it's a really good guide to, to see, you know, their growth. And just because you're teaching high school, maybe that's not where you start. You look at the prerequisite skills and, and build upon those where they are. So. with the social emotional learning. However, teaching is rough, um, and you as administrators have a large role to support both your teachers and your students. So in order to support our students, we really want to focus on starting by supporting our teachers um, and embedding the SEL into their daily lives and into their practices so that they can then transfer that down to their students. So Castle puts forth this great model um, for adult SEL. And it kind of has three components. So we'll start with learning. Um, learning is where you know you as administrators are providing opportunities for your adults to learn um, through their professional learning communities, through reflecting on how they can implement SEL into their lives and into their classrooms, looking at their motivation, um, the motivation to teach, the motivation to collaborate with coworkers, and then really focusing on a growth mindset for staff. Once we learn. Um, we're then working on collaboration. So you have your professional learning communities who are coming together to share what's working for them and what's not working for them. We're also integrating our SEL into our staff meetings. Um, we have peer monitoring opportunities and different partnerships, either within your school or within your district. And then as we learn, as we teach, and as we collaborate, then we can be models. Uh, we start by modeling for our students what SEL looks like. We want to have a culture of appreciation in our schools. Um, we have practices for leaders, and then we model SEL again with our you know, peer-to-peer -peer interactions as adults, but then in our interactions with our students as well. So bringing it down to the classroom level, um, obviously you guys know there's lots of really wonderful children's books that focus on SEL. Um, one of my favorites, Enemy Pie. I think I borrowed it from you, Carl. I hope I returned it. Um, you know, and another one is Be Kind by Pat Miller. It's about bullying and how simple acts of kindness can grow. And uh, most of my experience has been in elementary school. So a lot of, we, we did a lot of uh, using these books. And, and the, the benefits really were obviously reading the book, but afterwards kind of the role play that we did the multi-sensory activities, the questions, 
that's what starts the whole conversation about um, SEL. Obviously, there's uh, practitioner books. Um, the other side, the report card by MJ Elias is a really good book, and um, the Thriving Adolescent, which we've talked about already, which um, is one of many books that are listed on the Castle website. Um, some good podcasts, one that I found that I really liked was called Grow Kinder. Um, it's a group of um, educators, um, people who are in the arts, people in the business community who have collaborated to create this podcast and um, provide information on SEL. They get guest speakers in, it's, it's a really good one. And then obviously the research that we can all resource online and um, MTSS and PBIS obviously is um, an ideal framework for developing mindfulness and uh, helping kids to succeed not in class, just in the classroom but in life and in the community. So another um, resource is Panorama Education. Um, I think they'll have a link to their site too. Uh, they say they use data to support each student's needs and help leaders build grade schools. Some of you guys may be using this already. I know Dublin does and Hilliard do. Um, they provide social emotional learning, um, uh, understanding and support for SEL and teach kids skills and mindset that's needed for them to be successful. They also track and progress their progress uh, through academics, attendance, behavior, and SEL, and then use that information to guide the support that the students need. Uh, some, I was there when some of the students were doing that in Dublin, and it was interesting even just the process of completing uh, the questionnaires that they had to do. The conversations that took place after that kind of started the ball rolling as far as SEO. Um, they also have some fa fabulous resources on uh, Panorama, survey instruments, guides, case studies, research, um, there's videos, webinars, newsletters, there's a blog, They're, it's a fabulous resource. And I was just going to play a video, it's three minutes, uh, it's a school in Hawaii that have recently uh, taken this path and it's just a, one of the many stories that are available on the site. got a, a bigger picture for students so they're not just looking at academics but they're able to look at the whole child now that you have attendance academics and SEL data put forth together it gives you a more robust information by looking at student success all of it is on one page so you can see a really nice snapshot of the entire student and then dig deeper from there Students come to school, um, and it's not only about academics. Sometimes they have a lot of behavioral, social-emotional issues going on, and unless those needs are addressed, they can't really focus all of their attention on academics. So I like to describe this as not adding on more to the plate, but really enhancing and supplementing all of our academic efforts. We kind of got as much academic progress out of the system as we can. Now I see this as an opportunity to get even larger academic gains out of our students with our current instructional strategies by ensuring that we're meeting the social, emotional, behavioral needs of our students. If you have a fever, 
We use a thermometer, we can tell how sick you are, but we don't have an accurate metric when we go onto a school campus, but we can feel the culture and the climate. We now have panorama, we have these surveys, and we have a quick and easy snapshot to see, hey, all of these things that we're doing academically, behaviorally, socially, emotionally, here's the outcome. This is what it looks like for kids, and this is what it's about. We brought panorama and provided a different set of you know, assessment that they could do that was something more user-friendly and something that the teachers who don't have mental health training can do. It's kind of a new territory. This is a data set that we've not had in the past. For so many years, we've had academic data teams in all the schools. Those academic data teams had their eyes set on academic achievement on high-stakes tests, but we've not done any of this type of work with our behavioral, social, emotional data. And I think when the teachers and the adults in the system start to change their instructional practices with students, it's going to be the way that they teach. And that's when students are going to reap the real benefits. that 
those academic um, standards or criteria. So if you look at, I wrote it down this morning, where's my thing? So if you look at the um, SEL standards, it's under self-awareness, A3 says demonstrate awareness and willingness to seek help for self and others. Maybe there's a reason I'm not turning my work in on time. But if I learn how to seek help from others, which is in here, self-awareness, am I not implementing SEL standards? And I'd much rather have the opportunity to reinforce a student engaging in those SEL, I'm gonna call them behaviors. I don't, okay, yes, they need to turn in the work, absolutely but they really need to learn how to seek help throughout life. How many of you still seek help in life for various things? Yes, it's a skill, right? Let's teach it and let's reinforce it when our kids do it. So, again, back to what I said earlier, like this is a good place to start maybe. We talk about quick wins when we're together working with teachers and administrators, and it just means what can we do? What can we start tomorrow? that takes not a lot of effort from us, but may have high impact. And maybe for you, I don't know your environment, maybe this is a place to start. Maybe it's a place to start just in a classroom with just one, you know, a few teachers. And then as administrators, you're going in and observing that, and guess what you're doing? You're reinforcing the teacher behaviors, right? And now we're starting to get our multidisciplinary thing on a roll. Okay, the next slide really kind of talks about this because there's so many people. And then I'm going to go back to, we, I don't want to shit on people, but we should already be doing school-wide PBIS, right? So let's just go on and add the SEL part, and let's be intentional about it. And you think about, we're going to go to the next slide in a minute, but it's like self-awareness, self-management, uh, the other things. I mean, I would strongly suggest pull out these things and look at these behaviors and see how could different people be um, reinforcing the cafeteria workers? They're awesome, right? Every kid knows them. And when a student is interacting with those people, and many kids have interactions with the building engineers or custodians, I don't know what they call them in your district, after school staff, all these people, just other ways to support our kids and let them know that everybody needs so, the next slide, I think um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so we often hear, understandably, you know, I'm not a mental health specialist. I, they need to talk to the counselor or, or the social worker because I, teachers or other roles don't feel that they have the capacity to, to do this. So, um, it's interesting, I was looking at some research on CASEL uh, recently and there are some of the schools that are doing school-wide SEL explicit instruction. When they look back on what they might have done differently, what they learned from it, is that they have to start with adult SEL. So I'm glad there's a lot of administrators here that you want to provide the professional development so people feel like empowered. Everybody, like on the previous slide, all the, everybody feels like they have some skills to support the student and the whole child. So we, we were going to kind of talk through, in our roles, um, how we would do it. So I think as a classroom teacher, um, what I used to try to do a lot is role model it. So we know when we're teaching 
that you know we're we're performing and we're on and we have to be calm and upbeat and patient all day every day. But there are times where frustrating things happen, like technology or you know, or you're getting a phone call or whatever that's interrupting and it, and so I used to talk out loud and just say, This is really frustrating, the technology's not working, I'm gonna take deep breaths. I'm gonna think about what's within my control and what isn't. Let's be flexible. And you know, just role modeling that throughout the day. And a lot of teachers feel like I don't have time to do one more thing, you know, and and that's that's a real thing to feel that way. But it's just it's just baby steps and learning how you can slowly integrate it into the day, even if it's just teaching them to take a deep breath uh, throughout the day. So as a teacher, that's kind of my perspective, my lens. Administrative Sure. So um, I think as you can tell, we are clearly practitioners. Um, we don't have a song and dance. We don't rehearse this. We don't have this whole show and presentation for everybody. We are very much coming from your seats. Um, we've all been there and done it and had the opportunity to uh, be in schools and understand the, the magnitude that this can come from. Um, and when you ask or when you are asked to do something and you don't have the necessary support, you don't have the necessary training, you don't have the necessary um, uh, uh, people on the team that can support that initiative wholeheartedly and with fidelity to ensure that you have the opportunity to actually have it carry out and be integrated into your school community. So from an administrator's perspective, from our lens, we have to be able to connect the dots. We're not quite sure where those dots are. We're not quite sure what that picture is going to look like in the end, but we have to continue to fly the plane. We have to make sure that all of those passengers on our plane are safe and secure and that we're going to get them from point A to point B to point C to point D and right down the line. And that we have to continue to be reassuring so that they know that, yes, this might change, but we've got anchors in place that are going to allow us to continue to grow what we've, did, what we've done with this work and that it's not for naught. And as administrators, we have to continue to keep that lens and be that positive force. And we have to continue to come strong and ready to go every single day because our teachers are behind us looking for some guidance, looking for that support, and looking for that level of understanding that at least you have some idea of what SEL even is. And if you can just give them that little bit of reassurance, they get even more motivated. They stay even more bought in, and they have the opportunity to be that warrior for you so that you can rely on them as much as they look to you. And from that administrative lens, from that leadership lens, you have the opportunity to provide that guidance and be that lighthouse for them so that you can at least have the framework and the foundation that they can continue to build from and grow from. And if you need that assistance, if you need that help, you have to be willing to humble yourself and go ask for help. And if we as administrators, as leaders, aren't willing to do that, then we do more harm than we do good. So we have to make sure that if we don't have that understanding, that we push pause and we say, okay, where can I go to get this assistance? If you have a student support district uh, 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 um, uh, liaison or, or director or whatever they're called in your district, lean on them. Get them to understand that you need some more support, that you need some more assistance. And don't, don't be too proud to ask for that assistance. Right. Coming at it from the mental health behavioral intervention approach, 
we're generally viewed as the experts in this area. This is our wheelhouse. It is and it isn't, because social-emotional learning is so big. And as you're seeing, it is not just a slice of this, a slice of that. It is universal. And, and when, I, when I think of these things, and I, and I agree with what Sean's saying, we have to model resources. We have to model relationship. And that's, that's the key to it all. And when, when we go into districts and we look at their PBIS models and, and all these other acronyms that are thrown at, you know, trauma-informed care, restorative practices, that are kind of the flavor of the month thing, we want people to understand that there's a purpose behind it. This isn't something to add on. This is something you are probably already doing and doing it pretty well. We're just emphasizing it a bit more because we realize how important it is to address these emotional needs and these social needs and, and, and a lot of, our, of my discussions when I'm working with teams is on employability. And we have to start tapping into these employability skills that you need these skill sets in order to be productive and functional and real. And it's all woven together. And, and, and as we go through this a bit more, really think about how do you apply these things? Where is it working real well? Where can we tighten it up a bit? Because we can always tighten it up a bit. But relationship is going to be the key to it. And the relationship means, you know, sometimes when I'm called in on something, I feel like a tortoise up on a pole with my arms flailing around, you know, not sure what I'm doing. Or how you got there. Right, that's how you get there. <laughs> but sometimes you need somebody to pick you up and bring you back. And, and, a, and a lot of the adults, particularly in the education field, you are that role model for your students, for your peers too. So really think relationship as we're going through this and have a little more confidence in what you're doing because it's probably farther along than you realize. So coming at it through a behavior analyst lens, um, as Ann mentioned earlier, we talk a lot about prerequisite skills. And a lot of times we have kids that have trouble getting along with other kids, um, which leads to more behaviors that you see in the classroom. You may see them on the playground. You can see these behaviors in transition. So we look at the prerequisite skills of what is it to be a friend? What is it to be a classmate? And our kids, you know, they may be isolated. They may come from backgrounds where they haven't had the opportunity to practice appropriate greetings, turn-taking, sharing, collaboration. So as the behavior team, we come in and we look at the child and do they possess these skills? And that might mean that we take some time coaching in that unstructured setting. It might be, you know, facilitating an interaction on the playground or facilitating some time in the cafeteria to teach the turn-taking and the give-and-take um, to teach how to say hello and how to say goodbye, or how to say stop when you don't like something, or how to, um, you know, on the converse of that, how to respond when somebody tells you to stop or that they don't like that. And we use a lot of direct instruction, and we use some role play opportunities and practice um, to teach those skills to our kids. So I'm going to look at the lens uh, from a paraprofessional RBT because that was my role for my life. Um, it, I worked in a behavioral learning classroom, and I'm just kind of telling you this to illustrate that um, you can make change or you can invest in students' social emotional learning no matter where you are on, on the totem pole. You know, you can be an administrator or you can be a, work as a bus driver or you can be a paraprofessional. Um, the room that I was in last, um, there was a need for, for a place in, in the environment for students to... to uh, learn how to be calm, learn mindfulness, regu um, you know, regulate their, their minds and their bodies. And um, I reached out to Columbus College of Art and Design and talked to them about our situation. And 
what happened was a wonderful collaboration with a number of grad students at uh, Columbus College of Art and Design who came into the building, spent months doing research, working with us, with the kids, making dioramas, talking about what the kids felt would be helpful to them um, to help them learn mindfulness and to have a space where they could go and just breathe. Um, I'm excited. I don't get to see the benefits of it, but uh, apparently the room is being built right now. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of shows that you know wherever you are, whatever your role is, you can have an impact and make change. And again, from the mental health lens, Bryant kind of touched on kind of kind of how I see the lens as well, um, the relationship piece. And I like to think of it kind of like as a big apple tree. And in your classroom and in your school, you have that 10% that you know, or that one third, that you really know those students. You know their families. These are the moms that are PTO members that are the ones volunteering <coughs> to help in the classroom. You just know that kind of one third. That middle rung on the apple tree are kind of those kids, you know a little about them. You know they, they're in this musical or they play this instrument. You know those kind of surface level, you know, kind of topics. What You know, you know enough to have a, a little side conversation with them if you see them in the hallway. But then on the bottom, that bottom third is really where I see, those are those kids that need that relationship. Those are the ones that are getting sent down to the administrators day after day after day. Those are our kiddos that are never absent because we know that 10% school is that safe place. So I feel as a social work lens, the more we can build those relationships with those kids, and if that's that social worker pulling them out, or it could be, you know, if your school or if your district doesn't have social workers, which I know some still don't, um, it could be the school psychologist, the guidance counselor. Pulling that one third out there or cause the bulk of your school issues and creating, if you guys were in the keynote this morning, you you know, you heard her talk about the success plans. What does success look like for you? What are your coping skills? What are your triggers? Who are safe people? A lot of times you'll find that, that bottom third, they can't identify a safe person in that building. That means we don't have the relationships. So really working and going out of our way to learn about that kind of that one third they're kind of those bottom hanging apples, if you will. Um, so Kate and Julie from the behavior team and Bryant, they said a lot. One thing that, that we do um, talk a lot about is practice, right? We have to have opportunities to practice these skills. So, and there are lots of opportunities throughout the day. And so I'm going to deviate just a little from, go back to my previous life. I worked at a middle school as a behavior interventionist. and I basically did all the minor referrals and a lot of the major um, the office discipline referrals. So, you know, all that investigation, meeting with the kids, and you began to see that there was a lot of um, people, pro adults probably made assumptions, right? Well, they should already know this, right? They don't. And don't assume anything. And we talk a lot about that with restorative practices. What is the range of assumption? You cannot assume and I think we have to say that for our adults, right? You cannot assume that the adults have the ability to do something that an administrator may ask, right? So I even like to differentiate between there's training and there's coaching, right? You can send people to a training, but then you got to have that embedded coaching. And that's okay. I need coaching for a lot of things. I can go to a training, but I can get stuck on how to implement it. 
And so that is part of the SEL as an adult. So I digress a little bit. But there are different things, experiences that I have that like stick out in my mind. And you know, do you ever have that teacher who's like, no, they have to apologize or they're not coming back to my room. And you're like, really? Like, and they have to say it just like this. I'm sorry. And you're like, no, we deviate. No, you know. So those are also teacher expectations, maybe a certain one. And I remember once, because the school where I worked, we had a whole process before a student could go back in the room. There had to be a conference, right? We needed to clear the air for both the student and the teacher. You're welcome back in my room. Let's just do a little what happened, right? And I, I don't know, it shouldn't have been a big surprise, but we had to talk about that apology. And this kid said to me, he was so honest, a middle school student, he said, I don't know what that means. I've never in my life had anybody apologize to me. I thought, really? Okay, now we have to teach this with the teacher. Where's the variance on that? Um, I'm going to share one last experience, but I think it has to do with, with this, is being in a cafeteria. Have you ever had to monitor cafeteria duty for middle school? <laughs> Worst job ever. Worst, right? So, anyway, especially if there's grapes, because those can be thrown. But it's like, you know, everybody's, they're cramped in, and this is the expectation. Again, Kathy will tell you I'd love to, like, snatch kids. Hey! Tell me about this. And I'd love to ask the kids for the information. Guess who has all the information? The kids. They're part of the they're part of the team. And asking the student, you know, where do you eat where do you eat dinner? At home. In my bedroom, by myself, watching TV. Why in the world would I assume that they can sit in a cramped cafeteria? with 150 other seventh graders, right? So let's teach this, self-awareness, relationships, all that. Just another way that when we go and work with teachers and administrators and other people, care professionals, talking about prerequisite skills, that's a big part of it, and, and that's how I know that. How many of you have English learners in your district? Quite a few. So the one thing to know is that I found myself often helping students understand what were the behavior expectations of the United States. I mean, it could be as simple as the example you often hear about uh, an Asian student who casts his eyes down and doesn't look at a teacher and is considered to be disrespectful. But other things too, concept of time, etc. So one thing is making sure that, um, that your teachers are aware that some of our students are from other countries and have different expectations and help them bridge from one culture to the next. Okay, so we want you to take a minute to reflect on your role in the school. Not, not just your job title, but your experience, your skills, your strengths, your day. And turn and talk to somebody about how you, through your lens, can support student growth with SEO. Take a few minutes.
might come back too. You never know. <laughs> so, might just like jump up here. I should have seen John telling me. He's like, she's way down here. Way, way down. Way down. like to share out any aha moments or thank you or thoughts uh, something you're excited about maybe doing or trying or did you learn anything from talking to each other anyone yes And we're all starting from different places, so you, at least you're starting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. From, from Loveland, um, here's Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. um, one, two things that we've sort of come to some realizations this year is we need to do better at building upon the work each of the buildings are doing so that we have consistency through grades. And our students are together in bands from kindergarten on, but we don't have separate elementary schools. 
psychologist is being psycho at assessment mm -hmm. individuals, but not necessarily give them as much role in terms of behavioral change yeah. or education yeah. as they probably should have. Yeah. But just yeah. a question yeah. for you all and yep. how you develop your team. And, yeah. Yep, yep. Well, that, that might be something we add to our team later. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Closely with the school site mm -hmm. and the district. And she does, I mean, she does all, all the things you have to do. But she does speak to this a lot when she is working with teens, doing the um, behavior intervention plans and using that language and looking at, like Kate talked about, like what are the functional communication skills and what are, where are the lagging skills. So thank you for bringing that up. Another thing that we've learned is that you, it really will benefit you if you widen your lens to not think of job titles and think of skills. Mm -hmm. And we've also really, along those lines, that school psych is going to be more in that tier three positioning. And we, a lot of time, focus a lot of times on those tier one behaviors first and really looking at, okay, how can we define those behaviors so that when that school psych is called in, that it's a very consistent and aligned process to make sure that it's, it fits into the overall or overarching uh, strategy that we want to see come out of that. Allowing that to happen. I'm just curious. Our district's just beginning using the data panorama. She's asking if districts are just beginning to use the data from panorama. And understanding that it's only one data point. Well, and I think at the younger ages, 
ages kids don't know to go to adults or they don't know the feeling that they're having. And like, for example, in one of my buildings, we were able to pinpoint a fourth grader who's having suicidal thoughts and we were able to like go and dive in, potentially save this kid. So for us, it opened the door to have those conversations yeah. that probably were not going to happen. Good. Yes. Mm. and have them do a like, goal-setting conference with their GIS to develop their social-emotional web goal. And next year, we're rolling that out to our broader yeah. rest of our kind of have, um, We have their map data and their panorama data side-by-side side, as a goal-set with the teacher. Mm. What district? Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you folks for making my part real easy. Because <laughs> everything you talked about yeah. is what this is. You're talking implementation, and you see how it varies across districts because needs vary. They vary classroom to classroom. They vary individual to individual. So as we're going through a lot of these things, the question we get a lot is how and when do I teach these things? The when is so important because you can't teach these things when your students need them. Simple but complex, right? A lot of times we try to do spot interventions when they are there. So we have to practice these things when they don't need them. And you do that on the tier one level consistently. Consistently. And you apply it. And you attend to it. Again, sounds very simple. And you probably do it with more fidelity than you realize. But it is so important to attend to it. Because the more you attend to it, behaviors, right? The more you will see it. <coughs> And, and that's, that's a big part of that relationship thing. We talk a lot with our students who experience those traumatic situations and how important it is for them to understand that you are safe, you are predictable, and you are structured. They love that. Because, right, those students who push our buttons are most, they're there every day, right? They don't miss. They come a lot. And they come not because of the academics. We like to think it because we do some nice lesson planning and things like that. They come for the relationship. They come for the predictability and so forth. And that is so important in what we do. That is social-emotional learning. And helping them understand that there's more than this than that. In math, you're problem-solving, but you can only problem-solve if your brain allows you to problem-solve and you're not in that flip mode. You guys have seen that hand model of the brain, right, where it flips up and so forth. A big part of that is we try to teach here a lot when the brain is emotional. You've got to teach when it's calm and focused, and you can do that through predictability. So as we start going through these things, I'm not going to go through all the slides. Flip the next one. But really thinking about when do I teach these things. And understand that we expect students, and, and Ann talked about that range of assumptions, to be able to generalize these skills because we've taught it to them. No. You have to practice it and practice it and apply it and apply it and reteach it. But raise the bar. Don't be stagnant. Because if you become stagnant, it becomes disinteresting. So you can implement these skills across all areas, but the challenge is going to be, and, and it's nice that we have such a large group because that tells me there's an interest there, the adults are the ones who really struggle with the change, with the, with the challenging approaches, because in our adult world, we're used to being the control center, and we're going to have to give up a little bit of that control, so it's function over ego, and that can be a really hard thing for some adults, but again, relationship makes the train run. 
So as you, as you start thinking about these things, and this is kind of the exciting part, because this is where you get to take it and start applying it. All we're doing today is a teaser. We're giving you stuff and hopefully getting your interest peaked so you can go to that next level. And we do that next level. That's our coaching part. We come in there and we roll up our sleeves and work with the individuals. Because the worst thing to do is give you something and say, well, make it work. It was nice to know you. The biggest part of that, again, if we stress relationships, we've got to form relationships. And we've got to realize that, yes, it makes sense here, but does it make sense in my world? So some things to think about as we're going through this. How do I apply this actively in what I do? You probably are to a degree, but what can I do differently? And so forth. So. And really along those lines, I don't know that we really made it clear that we don't work with students. We only work with the adults in the building. We come and our process, our intentionality there is to embed the training and the professional learning so that when we are gone, there is an opportunity for it to continue within your schools. And so our approach is really relationship driven. And, you know, that panorama information, that's one data point. But where are you really getting that information from? Where should you be deriving that information from? Where should it come from for us? Where? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we collect that data, when that, when that, when that information is ready to be disaggregated, then who should be at the table with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we are encouraging those relationships to truly thrive, to be able to get to some of these parts, to get to some of the heart of some of these issues that we're talking about with SEL, then we need to have them at the table. We need to have those teachers that have those, uh, those really conscientious relationships with those, with those students at the table. We need to have our parents and our school community at the table. And we can't pretend like we have all of those answers and we can just roll it out. If we're going to be truly intentional about that opportunity to truly embed SEF. And when you're starting to look at how your data, how you're, where you're getting some of that information, some good ideas on where you can get some of that information. Where you can collect that data from. And as an administrator, you think about how, wh wh where are you spending the bulk of your day? You guys had a really good conversation over here about what that looks like. Where are you spending the bulk of your day when it comes to administration, when you're an administrator in a school? Attending to what? Yep. You're attending to discipline, which is typically what? Behaviors, right? Students are being late to class. Is that behavior? Absolutely. Students aren't turning in work. Is that behavior? Absolutely. Student, whatever, those are more behavioral based. And if we're not looking at it from a behavior perspective, then those academics are going to continue to plateau or decrease, or every now and then we get that smart cohort of kids because we've got great parents and all of a sudden our scores tick up. But we still haven't addressed the root cause. Some of us work in districts where we're just lucky. We'd rather be lucky than good. <laughs> So a lot of times when we, when we listen to the folks uh, uh, up, up in the Akron Canton uh, area, up there, we, don't have, we don't have these resources. Well, you know, let's, let's, let's look at some of these root causes and let's really look at let the data 
drive some of that conversation so that we can have a more intentional and targeted conversation about the behaviors that we're truly experiencing in our schools on a daily basis. And then those conversations look a lot different for us when we're talking about that data. And when you're looking at some of the indicators, um, explicit SEL instruction. You know, so, so quick question, how have, you, how have you begun to, or where, better where, have you begun to connect SEL? Okay, all right, self-care training for teachers. Okay, so connecting it to some restorative practices modeling and some of the self-care for teachers. Where else? Anybody connected under their PBIS umbrella? Okay, all right, there we go. There we go. Standalone? Is it kind of out there by itself for some of you? Maybe we're still looking for the opportunity to figure out how it connects to that train? Absolutely. But we need to be intentional about it, and we have to make sure that we're strategic about our approach. So when you're looking at those, those explicit instructions, make sure that there's an understanding of why you're doing that and how you're going to go about that. Focusing on adult SEL, uh, systems for continuous improvement, aligned with the community partnerships. You've got, you've got community advocates that are doing this work already that would love to come into your schools, but we have to figure that, that, that connect piece out, right? We have to know how we're going to utilize them, strategically work them into our plans so that we can capitalize on those community partnerships. They're out there doing this work every single day. Every single day, they could be a, 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 an excellent resource for us. I'll back up. Oh, sorry. No, you're fine. Oh, just real quick, yeah. Sorry, I thought that was yours because oh. she. Um, but just uh, this is the the resource that Kathy had spoken about earlier at Castle, um, and Neely actually attended the conference in Chicago, Chicago. Uh, mm -hmm. a few months ago. Uh, brought back a bevy of resources that just really phenomenal uh, when it comes to connecting and tying in a lot of the strategies we've talked about today. So that's the that's the slide for the um, for that resource and that connection for you all at Castle. So one of the leading models um, came out of Minnesota, and it was an elementary program. So I had the pleasure of listening to the, it was the principal and the psycho school psychologist who were there presenting. And they said, why, why SEL? And the principal said, you know, it's that same 10% that keep getting sent down over and over and over again. So they started to look, well, we need to, we need to teach these kiddos the skill before we can ever, as adults, expect them to change their behaviors. And then from that, they started to look, who's on board, on our team already? Who's building these relationships with kiddos? Who's it gonna be easier to bring along? And then they start to look, well, if we have, say we have Jane along, and Jane's good friends with Kathy, Jane can bring Kathy along. And they really started to look at how they can grow who's on board. And then from there, they looked, who can we tap into for resources? So what resources do we already have? Who in the community can we tap into for resources? And that's kind of how this shift started. That's kind of the start of how it um, started to, to try to transform and take place. But one thing to remember is there's no right or wrong place to start. Everybody's at different levels. An uh, elementary school that's had classroom guidance for years is going to be further along than that middle school, high school. 
those, those districts that have been fortunate enough to have those social workers in their buildings, they're going to be a little further along. So I want you guys to really remember there's really no right or wrong place to start. So when this principal came into um, the building at Sky Oaks, PBIS and student success teams were already in place. And for them, what a student success team looked like, which I thought this was incredible, from the mental health world, it's almost like a treatment team meeting. So they would take staffings for those kind of 10 percenters that give them the most problems, and they would staff them every week. They would get subs and paras in those classrooms to, so those teachers could tap out and actually have that, the staffings to say, you know, what's working, what's not working, you know, what goals can we implement, how can we help this kiddo be successful. So those things were already in place. And then um, they added in some of the other SEL stuff um, that Castle approves, the, the move mindfully, the conscious discipline, mind up, bounce and thrive, the DESA and the fast bridge were some of them that they had incorporated. Um, so in their first year, um, every, every kid in their building was getting tier one support. So they give every student the DESA mini, um, and out of that, the kids with like kind of the red lines all the way across that presented as higher risk, those kiddos would automatically go to a tier two. And that's when your um, guidance counselors, psychologists, social workers, whatever your district kind of has in place for that tier two, that's where they step in and they start seeing what are the commonalities between these kiddos, what kind of groups can we form, what kind of support, additional support outside of the classroom can we give these kiddos. Oh, we go back one more, please. Sorry. Um, so what they found is the majority of the identified students receive support, support through their IEPs. Um, and like I said, their tier two kids then got the full DESA. And I, um, I think that was just amazing because then they're already, then, you know, they start to be linked to those groups. Um, and then the school social worker and the school counselor, they did a family engagement night which they used, um, their, their seesaw was their kind of way to communicate, but it's just like that e-blast. And they had 98, per, they had a large Somali population, most who did not um, speak English, and they had 98% showing come in. Um, and they brought translators in, they provided tr uh, transportation. They, they eliminated all of those barriers and they were able to get their um, kind of community buy-in through that. Um, and for their year one results, the decrease in office referrals and the decrease in their special education requests, which I think is even more outstanding. Um, and then they went on to year two. Um, and this is just one of their like kind of mind up lessons. These were lessons that were done every single day. Like they were done in the classroom as part of that SEL support. Um, and they were done by the, um, at first, they were done by the social worker and the school psychologist. And it was 10 minutes delivered every two weeks in their morning meeting to the entire grade level. So everybody was getting it. Um, and then tier two, the SEL was delivered by the teachers during breakfast. And what they learned through the feedback after year two is the teachers really didn't feel comfortable in leading some of that. So in year three, so they were able to, you know, survey staff and say, you know what, this isn't our, we didn't feel like this was in our wheelhouse. This wasn't our expertise. So in year three then, they went back and they, they kind of changed that, if you will. Um, but the, um, 
But over, after two years, just two years, they had a 47% decrease in their behavioral write-ups. And not only did they have, I know a lot of our classrooms today are becoming more kind of trauma responsive, um, not just the trauma-informed, but taking that trauma-informed to a next level and becoming trauma responsive and having those calming rooms for students. They incorporated calming rooms for staff. So if you have that difficult kiddo, you can kind of tap out and you can use those resources. Um, and then you know, you know, you, then you have your support from your admin or your, you know, your paras. Um, so I thought that was really a great idea because we always think about the kids. Let's get the calm space for them. But what about our teachers? Because the kids that we're teaching aren't like they were not even like five years ago. The behaviors that we're seeing and the mental health that we're seeing just become more and more significant. Um, and they did. They they said, you know, the principal said when I got in. You know, one of the things that they told me is, oh, everybody's been, tra you know, had trauma-informed care training. So he started asking questions of, well, what does that mean to you? What does that look like? They're like, well, we can tell you about the brain and flipping a lid and, you know, but they didn't know much more. So they took it to a next level and they did more of that trauma responsive and taught that teaching staff, how do we respond to trauma? What does trauma look like in kids? Because it looks different for, for a lot. You might have the acting out kid. You might have the kid that's withdrawn. You might have that kiddo that doesn't ever come to your class because you are a relationship builder and they're fearful of that relationship. Um, so it all looks different for you know, different kids. So we need to be kind of mindful of that. <clears throat> That's it. Okay. I didn't know if there was more data on that or not. Yes, ma'am. Um, like a, yep, it was just like a social, they took like social emotional, um, like a lesson through the mind up. And I know there's a lot of, if we can go to our resource page, there's a character ed page too, um, characterstrong.com. It's a free, I know we all like free stuff. It is a free resource, and it is amazing. It gives you 52 weeks of what the staff, like topics that the staff can incorporate each week of. So it's kind of a script, not scripted in the bad way, but it's more scripted. Right, absolutely. And that was out of the conference and meeting all the vendors and talking to them and how they incorporated different things. I think that Character Strong was probably my favorite because it, it kind of walked not everybody's comfortable with this. So it kind of gave them that, you know, hand-holding a little bit um, to get through some of that. Yes, ma'am? Right, and I think that's where, what, you know, one thing with that decim, giving that decim any to, okay. about what 
a lot what we talked about is, so with whoever you have, this is these are our resources. We can't do this, but what can we do? Where can we start to implement it? And we talk a lot about doable and durability because if it's not those two things, it can actually be more detrimental. Right, it's not effective. Right. So I think, you know, what we talked about was just things we have seen and, and hearing from you, but I do appreciate you said that because every district is different, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, this is that. I mean, I, yeah. So I, I think some of these are like resources. So I, yeah, but I think that's just, you know your environment and, and what's needed in your environment. And, and, what's in the right. and to piggyback off that, I know I heard a lot of you guys talking about restorative practices today. And um, actually, Chicago Public Schools is one of the kind of the leaders in the forefront of that. And on, if you Google Chicago Public Schools, they have a manual that walks you through how to kind of incorporate that restorative practices. And through that, you're taking a lot away from the so who would be a social worker, a psychologist, or a guidance counselor, because that teacher then, through those circles, are building those relationships, and you're not always having to rely on the social worker, the guidance counselor, the psychologist. That teacher becomes that relationship where that kid both feels comfortable <coughs> sharing. Um, how much funding uh, resources are being used to fund this team? I understand mm -hmm. the education service center, the yep. grants, the school supports you. Is it a multiple? All of the above. Can you go through what those are? Um, for, you mean for this team in yes. particular? So a lot of times what we do is um, we Green have information. Uh, Janet Gilly. She has contact with the school district, and the school district actually pays for our services to bring us in. And that's why we take such a uh, diagnostic approach on the upfront, because we're very cost conscious to those districts as well. We're not going to send just the whole team in if you only need that level of support or that level of support. So we take that multidisciplinary multi approach to be cost conscious as well. And then sometimes, as uh, someone mentioned, uh, mentioned the wellness grants, and they've been utilized to bring our services in. But a lot of times it's the funding from the school district to the ESC. And we have information up here if anyone would like more information about our team. There are cards up here. Any other questions? Thank you so much for coming.